Hey, good morning, church. It's good to have you and you who are joining from your home somewhere else. Uh, we're glad you're joining us today, and uh, hopefully today uh, you'll feel something of the joy that we have here in the house. And uh, I love that song that's um, kind of new, but I don't think I plan to wear it out. There's joy in the house of the Lord, and it's true, it's true. Let me just say on the front end, the, at the end of our service today, we're going to, um, how, how can I say this kind of, we're going to hit you up for some big bucks, okay? And uh, so if you're nervous and you haven't been to church in a while, you go, there they, are, there they are, talking about money. No, it's not for us. We're 100% of the money that comes from the lemonade stand sale is going to go to an incredible ministry in Honduras, a partnership ministry of ours for a lot of years. We'll get to that later. Uh, but let's talk about something that's uh, closer to home. The, the, the title I have today, this series is, And Leave the Results to God. I'm pointing out the fact that there are, there's not a short list of things that we tend to read in the Bible and feel compelled to do, and we sometimes go too far with that. Sometimes we think it's really up to me or to you. So if the Bible says something, uh, I got to do it, and it's all up to me. And frequently we find that the truer description is the Bible tells you to do something today, share the gospel, do your part, and then you probably know this from practice, but I'll say it out loud, and leave the results to God. Let me, let me give you a little Something to write down on the front end, okay? Some of you have your note page out. Uh, some of you at home can click onto the access point you came and joined us today and find the note page there. And there's some follow-up questions for you to have with your family or friends or by yourself anytime you want, and you folks have it here in the house. But here's something I'd have you write down. Our calling is to uh, convey truth about God and let God do the convincing. So we convey, but we don't convince because that's too much on us. That's too much about your skill at debate and things that are much less than the gospel. Well, here's another way to put it more simply. Present the gospel. Don't try to persuade. The Holy Spirit is in the thing with you. You have a son or a daughter or a friend or a co-worker who needs Jesus. You're not saying that as an indictment. You're saying it as a biblical fact, a truth and fact that you know in your own life, right? Correct? Raise your hand if you believe what I just said. You know that to be true in your own life. The, the house is full of hands up, okay? So it's not being judgmental of others to say, I'm supposed to present that, but the Holy Spirit will persuade them that it's true. Amen? So here's a question for you. I want you to imagine a scene with me. Imagine you're walking through your neighborhood a few blocks away from your actual street, and you see smoke coming from a house. It's clearly not coming from the chimney. It's coming out the front door and the windows of this house. There's no one there except you, and you notice it, and you can't not notice it. Um, but you don't know the people that live there. So my question is, what would you do? 
Would you, listen to me now, knock softly and say, uh, I, uh, I see that your house is burning. Um, I'd like to ask a few questions. And let's say the door opened, okay? It flings open and there's more smoke. Would you in that moment say something to them like, hey, um, hi, we've never met, but you mind if I, um, if I uh, well, uh, ask, how did this fire start? Um, and, and, then, and they're looking at you kind of shocked and in a, a, an obvious panic on their face, and you, you stay with it. Um, you ask questions like, was, was there somebody careless? Uh, did you leave a candle unattended? Um, do, do you, um, did you, did you um, put a space heater a little too close to the curtains? Now, how many would ask a single question I just mentioned? Raise your hands. No, why would you not ask that? The house is on fire. Right? It's not a, this is not a trick question. You, you see that the house is on fire. Those questions, they may matter someday when the investigation's over, but they do not matter on this day. Right? The house is on fire, and your only words are, get out! Right? Corey Tin Boom uh, asked something similar a long time ago, and these are as powerful today as when I first read them. If I straighten the pictures on the walls of your home, I am committing no sin, am I? Think of somebody, uh, no, not quite there, no, no, a little bit over. I have this experience often with, used to be just Debbie, but now it's my daughters who are setting up pictures and, uh, oh, yeah, well, there's three of them. That's a tricky wall to work with, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about because you can get them spaced evenly, but then you have to get them level. It's, 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 a, it's a spiritual crisis. But anyway, um, <laughs> it has to happen because you're the dad, so you do that. And uh, back to Corey Ten Boom. She says, if I straighten the pictures on the wall of your house, I'm committing no sin, am I? But suppose that your house was on fire, and I still went calmly about straightening the pictures. <laughs> what would you say? Would you think me merely stupid or very wicked? And then she asked, the lives of people are on fire today. And what are you doing to extinguish the flames? That's my topic today. People's lives are on fire. They conceal the smoke. They don't look charred on the surface. They do a pretty good job of not looking like they've got anything burned. Um but they're on fire nonetheless. So what would you do if you could see better what clearly Jesus saw when he walked among people? What would I do 
if I really had eyes to see better, that people's lives, maybe you're watching today or you're in this building today and you're going, he's right, man. I, I might got a fresh set of clothes. No one smells any smoke on me. But my, my life's messed up. There's fire. Uh, since last Sunday, do you realize that two people per second worldwide entered eternity in one of two places? It's kind of a jolt, right? Some of you are feeling your watch tick a little more with purpose right now. Every two seconds, someone worldwide leaves this life and heads to eternity in one of two very different places. And if you go with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, when he described people in those two places, heaven or hell, um, he said, actually, many are those who don't get to heaven. In other words, the fire burns them up. And for them... Eternity is all too real. That they discovered firsthand now that uh, failing to turn from their way to Jesus, the only way, has eternal cons consequences. Now, I'm not going to play on your mood or emotion. I'm just setting it up for some reality that I think I need to hear, and maybe we all do. I have a growing number of people I know who have left uh, places that are burning. They're sick of it. And you know what? I'm not disgusted by that. I hear that, and I actually understand that. I grew up in a place in Oakland. It's a bad place. Not all of it. There's some good people in Oakland. My apologies if you're watching from there. But they had this thing called white flight. And I was white. And the church that I was in in downtown Oakland was all white. And, and, and at the day it was built, the neighborhoods everywhere were all white. And then the the race and the culture changed, and uh, we left town. We left town. Uh, there were reasons. I don't think anybody, spirit-filled person in that group, left town, you know, with a bad spirit. I think they left town for safety's sake. It was, it was, it had turned to Beirut. Am I talking, it's safe to talk about Oakland, it's, you know, 600 miles south, but there's a place a lot closer than that, and uh, people regularly leave town for good. One way, I'm out of here. I'm not rebuking them. Please understand, the guy that just said all that has that temptation in his heart too. So. This morning, I want us to begin by um, taking a look at Jesus. 
And then we're going to finish in one other passage in Colossians chapter 4. But start with me in Matthew chapter 9. Would you just turn? It's the opening of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to get one, not just use your app, because it's, it's really cool to have the pages of Scripture in front of you, the very words that, in this case, um, are descriptive of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 ends uh, kind of a rapid pace. He finished a great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew on the mouth. <laughs> Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Then chapter 8, boy, Jesus kind of goes for it. And he's healing and touching and delivering people. Uh, peril, paralysis is healed. I mean, the list is long. He raises uh, a dead girl and heals a sick woman. And then at the end of this chapter, after healing a blind person and giving speech, to a mute person. Verse 35 describes, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And with an audience, his disciples traveling with him, he turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful. Presumably pointing out what he saw with his naked eye. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, not so much. They're few. So ask the Lord of the harvest... May I paraphrase it? To send you. To send out workers is safe, because I, I get to say, ah, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not good enough. I don't speak well enough. It's not about that. Remember, you're not here to persuade. You're here to present. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send you into the harvest field. These words describe what I'm going to say it felt like to be Jesus in a world full, as he looked around, of lives ablaze. You with me? Um, words we just read, 35 to 38, please, you make a terrible mistake of the text if you think they're academic. These words are not meant to be academic. Some of us have memorized them, kind of taken them out of the feeling level. These words are deeply affective, meaning from inside the soul, that, that are used here. This is all about Jesus. How else would you explain the moving words right in the middle that begin in verse 36? What stands out? Look again at verse 36. Jesus felt compassion. That's all you need to look at for right now. It's a verb, and it's a verb of strong emotion. It's not like, oh, sucks to be him, you know. You've heard that saying? Sorry, it came from the pulpit, but it's true. We sometimes have that. Ah, bummer, bummer, man. Avoid eye contact, you know. 
No, Jesus, with deep feeling in his soul, strong emotion, it's another way of saying his heart went out to them. There's not just an arms-folded white flight going on here. This is Jesus saying, oh, my, oh, moved. He felt this way, notice, not for a few. It's all right here in the text. Not for a few, but for all. Do you see he healed every disease? Do you see that? Not the deserving. He healed every disease and every sickness. And the next verse, notice, he looked at the crowds. It could have said he looked at that guy in the back in that big crush of people. He noticed that dude over there. That's, that's a mess. Man, there's smoke coming from him. No, it's all. He uses all. Why all? Well, that's who Jesus is. And here's my answer. Because God, who made every one of us, never made someone he didn't love. Is that fair enough? Do we agree with that? I mean, I think I do. I think that there's no other way to look at John 3.16, for example. For God so loved... Oh, no, he didn't say a few or that particular group or that city or that pastor and his wife and family. No, 100% of everybody in this house and you outside, somewhere else. He never met a single or built, made a single person that he didn't love. And that's also Romans 5 uh, God showed that love for us. Would you stop a minute and go, who, me? Everybody? One, two, three. Who, me? Yeah, you. God showed his love for me. This way, while I was at my worst, a sinner, what did Jesus do? He died for me. There's a great theology adjustment in that statement. Because we still, even though you know that truth, you've memorized Romans 5, 8 and John 3, 16. You know it like I know it. But something inside me goes, and I'm getting gooder all the time, God. I keep this up. and Maybe you wouldn't have had to die for me after all. You hearing my logic? I'm not alone in that. In fact, some people stay away from a, a prayer that says, God have mercy on me, the sinner, the seven words that changed that man's life in Luke 18. They stay away from that prayer. Why? Because, well, you know what? I'm, I got a few problems, but I'm not on fire. I know some people that are. They're about to burn up, but not me. Folly knows no bounds. Um. Look again, Jesus communicates the good news. That's why we're told in verse 35 at the beginning there, he taught in their synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. That's, that's the starting point. It's important to communicate. you got to say the words. Share the truth. And then notice later in the same verse, he showed the truth. He didn't just teach, proclaim the kingdom, 
But he healed every sickness, verse 35 ends, and every disease. He showed the gospel. Did you know that, would you look back at this, kind of cool, I just pointed out, I'm having you look for a single three-letter conjunction. That's a fancy word for a small word, a little word that's a connector word. We just read it. So Jesus went through, you get to look at it again. All the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and there's the word. Did I slow down long enough to get your attention? And healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus talked the good news, and he walked the good news. Is that your and my MO? It needs to be. I have to tell you a funny story. It made the person laugh that I, I hadn't told this story in so long. I was a, a young person in Mexico when I met Jesus on a missions trip to be with my dad, really. But he said, hey, why don't you go out and share? So we went out and share, sh shared with Mexican people in Mexico, and we needed to get their attention. We needed people to kind of get interested, and aside from the fact that we're from America, we came with something that we know their soul needs, the gospel. So there's a bunch of us, and to get their attention, we, um, we threw gospel bombs, we used to call them, which is kind of an incorrect way of saying it today. That wouldn't work, especially near an airport, but anyway... Um, we would put, uh, in Ziploc bags, we would put candy and a gospel track and, and instructions about tonight's meeting in this little village. Come at nightfall, there's going to be a movie, and um, there was no electricity, so we had to bring our own. I mean, it was a really cool mobile ministry called Caravans for Christ, and we, and we did that. And so we would sit on the back gate of a truck... Uh, or outside with van doors open, and we would, th it's going very slow, no dust gathering except the children that were coming from everywhere. And we would throw gospel bombs, and they would, of course, get the candy. So I guess in a sense, we were, we were manipulating them to come that night because they got candy and may get more. So they did. They came by the hundreds. And then that night, so so we... We sang cool songs, and every one of us had to memorize our testimony in Spanish, a three-minute testimony. Hola. Buenos tardes. How much time I got left? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It was that kind. For some of us, it was painful, but it worked. And tons of people surrendered to Jesus. We showed. We, we got among the people. We enticed them to come. It was all at work. That was a long time ago. We still have to do that kind of stuff today. So I want us to jump here from Matthew. I told you the last passage, and it's really cool because the details are given here. Flip over to Paul's letter to a church in Colossae, an ancient city he never did visit, as we know. But he, um, through uh, complicated kind of connections, it was planted by some people he had reached elsewhere. And Paul is writing this, of course, from prison in Rome. 
So he's behind bars, but he's caring a whole bunch about these people. And it, it becomes really a, a practical how-to statement in this four-chapter letter, in the last chapter. Um, and it's really a how-to, uh, we're going to learn right now, how to show and share. How to say it and show it, okay? I love that childhood thing. Um, we did it at least in grade school, show and tell. Remember that? It's kind of a good picture of the gospel. We did it after spring break and summer break, I recall. You come back to school and everybody tells, you know, show and tell. So you had to show where you went and tell a story or something. So it works here too, the gospel. How to show and share the gospel. Look at these words. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am an ambassador or for which I am in chains. I pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, those are words, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul starts off, you've caught it already, where Jesus left off. Remember Jesus, he saw those people, he was burdened, they were downcast as sheep without a shepherd. What's it say next? We just came from there. He told his disciples to pray. That's where Paul begins this passage. Pray for impact. You might have noticed it when we read it three times in these three verses, we're told to pray. Verse 2, pray persistently. That's devote yourself to prayer. In other words, it's not a popcorn prayer on the run and, you know, one and done. Devote yourself to prayer is more than a passing uh, quick shot. I'm thinking of the person you know that's got smoke coming from them. You, you know that because you've paid attention. Good for you. And you know it too because you love them or you never see the smoke. And so Paul's words are really good. So pray continuously for them. The word I'm using is persistently. Look at verse 3. Pray purposefully. Fully. Look how he changes it. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So pray persistently, uh, uh, pray purposefully. And then one more P here to help you remember it, verse 4. Pray personally. Notice how it clearly switches to him. And and. Pray that I may proclaim as I should with clarity. Some of you are saying, well, wait, but I thought this was a, a message about the urgency of putting out people fires. And, and you're absolutely right. It actually is. And prayer, I'm going I'm to say the discovery I made is apparently a big and powerful tool 
for doing the very thing we're talking about today, sharing the gospel and leaving the results to God. It's, um, I didn't plan on this, maybe uh, something about a military getting the, or, or a, a gardener um, tills the soil for the seed of the gospel. A little pre-work, certain military reconnaissance goes before infantry make it or whatever, I'm not sure. But you get the idea here. So there's this advanced work going on, and it's, it's, it is work. Prayer is, a, is apparently so significant it makes the cut three times in this little passage. I hope you're asking why. Why would that be? Is that just a teacher kind of drawing circles around repeating words? Maybe. I, that's true. But maybe it's more than that. Maybe it has to do with why they would be on fire and do nothing about their situation. Could that be? Seems like it to me. And may I suggest it? Um, it, It's pretty spot on. A couple of things tell me the song we sang earlier, the battle, and that's what it is, is is for souls. Did, did you know that these words are in our Bible? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a single word, and I want you to write this down. And it has to do with everybody on fire that's ever been on fire. They're blinded. They might actually see, smell smoke. They don't see that it's coming from them. You hear that? Let your mind go there. It's true. They don't get that. Why, why do I say that? Because in the case of the unbelieving, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Satan has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see. They're in trouble. And they can't see who can help them in the trouble, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. So that word needs to be on your page right now. It needs to be in your heart. The people I love that don't know Jesus, they're blind. Here's another word, and it it comes from another New Testament passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It tells us that people um, uh, who are on fire and do nothing about their worsening condition are actually bound. So if I said right now, scratch your nose, everybody on three, let's see you scratch your nose, okay? Just do it for my sake, all right? So we're together still on this. Ready? One, two, three. Okay? All right? All right? You got it. You know where your nose is and you scratched it. Good for you, all right? So now, handcuff your pretend or sit on your hands, okay? On three, I want everybody, your, your, your hands are stuck. Okay, you're handcuffed. Now, on three, scratch your nose. One, two, three. Oh, weird things are happening. Oh, somebody just rubbed their nose on somebody's shirt. That's tacky. <laughs> that is so. <laughs> you want a name? I could give you a name, but anyway. <laughs> Do not sit near this person. <laughs> Ushers, can you get a box of Kleenex to the third row? They're going to need them. Um, but anyway. Yet the point, why could you not use your hands? You could use your neighbor's shirt, I get it, okay. But you could not use your hands. They're bound. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Lord's bondservant, that's you and me telling this gospel, 
must not get in a fist fight or a quarrel, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, able to teach, gently correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them eyes to see, an ability to scratch their nose, and lead them. He might grant them repentance, it says in 2 Timothy 2 at the very end there. Grant them repentance that leads them to the knowledge of the truth, having been held captive, the word's bound, by Satan to do his will. They're not stupid. They just can't. They know their nose is a mess. They just can't scratch it. Maybe we could say they know the fire at some level is coming from them, and they got no water. They don't know how to get out of their burning clothes. So Paul is saying pray for opportunities. I love that word, verse 3, in this passage. Pray for these opportunities. Do you, do you see the word opportunities? Do you see that in verse 3? They're called doors here. It's, it's an opportunity. Verse 4 says, make the most, or verse 5, make the most of walking through those doors. Opportunities. Some of you do this so cool. Um, how are doors open? Uh, first, what are doors? They're, they're, they're really people. They're places. They're schools. You go, you teach or have a child, grandchild in a school. That's a door. Um, it's where you work. That's got to be a door, I think. It's a neighborhood. It's people you know. And here's one more. Doors swing wide open when you're around people with serious hurt going on in their lives. They really do. I mean, they, they swing wide open. So if you're talking to somebody with loss or failure or disappointment uh, or grief, you're talking to somebody that's just raw. They're raw. The fire's raging. Um. Those are doors, and the Bible is telling us, walk through them. Uh, and when you do, pray with precision on as to how you share. That's verse 4. I want to proclaim it a certain way, clearly. I want it, you do too, which probably means keep it simple. Can I give you four words that's the gospel? Guaranteed every time. If you get... Away from this, that's fine. If you embellish it and give more information, that's fine too. But these four will get you to the gospel. Christ died for you or us. Make it us. Christ died for us. Every one of those words will give you a chance to talk about, so what's behind that? Christ, who's he? Well, he's God. He said so. John 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, all those chapters, he talks about himself being God. Okay, Christ died. Why did he die? Did he do something wrong? 
more to talk about. For means in place of, on behalf of. Theologians call it substitutionary atonement. That will kill the conversation, by the way. <laughs> That's why I didn't use it. Four works. Christ died for, and the home run, us is better. I like us, now that I think about it, because it's you saying, this is me. I was on fire, too. Okay, that's the gospel. Um, so remember, nothing beats your story, your before and after story. I love to tell people this, uh, who are going through all manners of personal trial. The first counsel I give is get a journal or a diary or notes on your phone or whatever that lets you record everything you're going through. You have a four-tire blowout in your life. Your life is wrecked. We've established that. And I feel terrible about that. Don't make the mistake and go, my goal is to forget all about this, expunge it from my life, scrub it clean and get rid of it. Jesus says, don't do that. That's right, don't do that. It's so counterintuitive because it's so icky, right? We think that way and it's, it's contrary, it's counterintuitive. It's a Jesus story. It's Jesus saying, I met you at the worst. And I didn't run from you because I made you, and I've never made someone that I didn't love. So you tell your story. Can I tell you one that we've lost count how many times we've been able to tell about since June 10th, 2021? My Debbie's story of learning that she's in the fight for her life. And we absolutely share that with, it's so natural. It's like the Holy Spirit just says, tell your story. And because it's a story that says Jesus took care of us. What? You're expecting to hear OHSU or Kaiser, you know, oncology or whatever. They helped. They had a, they had a role. Jesus was captain of the team carried us through. You don't have to preach a sermon. That's what I do. Okay, so, but you get to tell your story and, and leverage your story. Get comfortable with it. Tell it often. Don't stutter. Don't be shy. The, the, you know, um, Paul, by the way, used his story all the time. Uh, there's, a, there's a great story about another man that I actually had a privilege of meeting. He's with Jesus now, but his name is Chuck Colson, and he was um, a visiting minister a few, several times at the church I came from um, after, uh, uh, well, when his story was out. Uh, but he, his story is about being a very powerful man. He had uh, something like 10 doctorates, some of them earned, some of them honorary. He was a big deal. I don't have a single doctorate on my wall in the office. <laughs> He had them all over the place. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, he was special counsel to the President of the United States. All right? Now you start to go, <clears throat> hello, sir. All right? And he, he, as he put it, he 
was one office door from the Oval Office. And he could walk into the Oval Office without knocking. That big a deal. Uh, one more thing he mentioned to us. Uh, uh, he said, I could order a, a military plane, a U.S. military plane to take me anywhere on planet Earth, and I would not need a co-signature. He's telling all this. You're like, whoa, this guy's bigger than this room can handle. There were thousands listening to his words. And then he says, what does God choose to use from my life as his legacy? Federal prisoner number 4263821, Chuck Colson. Hatchet man in Watergate under President Richard Nixon. He had a story to tell that the Holy Spirit said, I can leverage this thing all day long if you'll just give me a chance. And if you know anybody that's been incarcerated, you know that they're in a, a prison almost anywhere in the world that has a chapter of Chuck Colson's ministry called Prison Fellowship. That's a story you got to get comfortable with. Because I want to I tell you about the advanced degrees and my achievements. Which, by the way, if you've been in my office, there's none of them are on the wall. It doesn't matter. There aren't many anyway. But you get the idea. It's about Jesus. Um, don't close your Bibles before noticing verse 5. It's really important. Uh, it's... It's a couple other quick things that Paul is saying. Pay close attention to your walk. Be wise in the way you act or walk or relate to people on fire. Those are people without Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity. Um, boy, so much more. As Christians, our lives... They should be stories where we, where we don't have to shout it. They shout it. Our, our story is shouted, look at me. Not a perfect person, but a person with difference in his life. And then I get to tell you why. That's a gospel. That's a testimony. That is... Um, that is, that is being careful in acting toward outsiders. And Paul, uh, I'm going to read about four verses in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 1. You can turn there. It's about four pages later in your Bible. He said this much later in his life. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12 who has given me strength and he's considered me trustworthy and, and appointed me into his service. Notice the next two words. Even though I was once a blasphemer. A what? A persecutor. You're kidding. A violent aggressor, he says. And I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord. He's sharing his secret now 
was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says this to jerk you and me out of our chair. And it does have this effect. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, there is not an exception you and I can point to. Not even you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Chuck Colson did not talk about his degrees. He did not talk about days in the White House, all his fancy stuff and life. He talked about his greatest failure. He said it like that. It was me going to prison, federal prison, for high crimes I committed. And what did God use as my legacy? Not my time in the White House, my time in the big house. That's what he said. And we laughed out loud. You chuckled, some of you. But it was like a great statement. It was God going, I got something that I can use in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's just so cool. And I want it to be so comfortable with us. Um, so, and then verse 6, pay close attention not only to um, your talk but your walk. He called you, uh, I'm in Second, I'm in Thessalonians still, Colossians 4, 6. Look at this. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned as it were with salt, just like Ephesians 4, 29, so that you would know how you should respond to every person. Um, I want to, I want to, sh- uh, shoot to kill a belief right now. And that is that somehow this is easier for a pastor. I've, I, I could have checked, but I've preached thousands of times. I've never kept count of how many I've put to sleep. <laughs> um, but I've been in this spot a lot. And sometimes there's this temptation to go, that works for him. But not so much the rest of us. Or maybe you're more personal just for you. How many know the name Billy Graham? Right? How many know the name of his younger brother, Melvin Graham? Maybe a handful. Maybe. Billy Graham was in this setting way more than I have ever been. Melvin, not once. Mel, it turns out, was a farmer. Oh, well, you know, one out of two isn't bad, right? One made a difference. People thought that, maybe never said it like I just did. But they think that still. You decide based on Melvin's words. I believe God called me to be a farmer. And I'll tell you why. I don't care what occupation you're in. There's always that chance to be a witness. I'm a witness 
who's never been ashamed of it. Melvin went on. I've always said I just want to be a nobody. Maybe that's how it felt a little bit to be in the shadow of his big brother. Although I doubt it. I just want to be a nobody that is willing to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen? Not bad for a farmer, wouldn't you say? It's powerful, powerful truth. God's never once made a person he didn't love. And he's left it to you and me, his followers. Um, those of us who've turned from our way to the Jesus way to show others the way. Um, my guess is that most of us pass burning houses a lot. Um, maybe it's time we said, you know what? Pounding the house, saying things we didn't think we could find words for. Get out. I'll show you the way. Follow me. I pray that God gives us that today and for every day in our futures. Let's bow together. And uh, God, thank you for Melvin. I like Melvin. I've never met him. But I thank you that he probably shows us as much about being comfortable in his skin as we could possibly learn. What a takeaway. I want to be that kind of person who says freely, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody that's willing to tell everybody about the somebody, Jesus Christ, who can save anybody. Thank you, Jesus, that you used Paul to say, I'm the worst of sinners. And then he said, he came into the world, Jesus did, to save me, the worst of sinners, so that he might send a message to anybody else with a fire on their hands. I can do the same for you. If you're hearing me this morning in the house or in your house, would you turn to Jesus Christ right now? Christ died for you. Just settle that and say, Jesus, I don't even need to know the implications. I just want you. If you did that for me, I want you. And starting now, show me what that means. Help me see the implications. And please, dear Jesus, put out the fire. You're the God of the city, Lord. You're the God of Tigard, Oregon, and many other places represented in this room. And we ask for you to do a great work to expand your kingdom and your gospel as flame after flame is extinguished and people live. And may eternity tell a story that just makes us blush in humility that you used us 
in the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life we pray. Amen.